you would, go ahead and have a seat and open your Bibles to Luke 23. As I uh, see this cross, and as I've traveled uh, other places where the presence of this cross isn't quite as abundant, I'm reminded and I'm, I, I often think that that we live in a, a society that has in some ways uh, become sensitized to the image of the cross. I mean, we live in a society where whether it's a, a sincere believer displaying the cross on their car to an unbeliever who displays the cross as a, a faddish, or maybe it's something that's bedazzled on their shirts, that we sometimes become numb to the reality of what this cross stands for, the, the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important, I think, that we have Good Friday. That we can come to an evening like this and we can step back from the mirage and images of what we think or what we maybe forgot about the cross, and we come back and we're reminded afresh and anew that at the cross of Jesus Christ, that it was an intersection of the cruelty of man and the compassion of Christ came together. That the cross of Christ is just more than a cute image on a shirt or around a necklace. But it's a place where cruelty was poured out. That was bore on our behalf by the compassion of Christ. Did you look into Luke chapter 23? It starts out saying this. Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him, that is Christ. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. The criminals, on one on the right and the other on the left. Well, notice what I want you to see is that what it says there, it says there they crucified him. That's all it says. That's all it says, just that. There they crucified him. And to us, because of perhaps our being desensitized or maybe even numb to the realities of the cross of Jesus Christ, we just go on skipping by it. But when the original readers would have heard that they crucified him, to their minds would have come the cruelty of the cross. To their minds would have come the, the physical torments that this man, Christ Jesus, and these others had to endure. They would have known the cruelty of crucifixion. What would have come to their minds, what they would have pictured, is that they would have imagined this, these men in Christ being thrown to the ground with their backs flown onto a wooden beam. They would have imaged the soldiers, they would have pictured the soldiers taking one hand and, and throwing it to one side of the beam and taking a, a square uh, nail and driving it, finding at the same time they're putting the arm there, they would be finding an indention where they could drive that nail through. And they would take the other hand and they would put it on the other side of the beam and making sure that, that the arm sagged just enough that it would be effective. Not too tight, but it would sag some 
And they would drive that other nail in there. And once the soldiers had completed that, they would take the legs. They would make sure that the knees were bent a certain amount. They would take one foot and they put the other foot over the top of it so it would fit in there together. And then they would again find the spot where they could drive that nail completely right through. At that point, then they would pick up the cross and they would drop it into a hole. And at that point, the person would be crucified. But the cruelty only began. Because as Christ would hang there on the cross for us, as his arms would sag and his, his knees would be bent and sag, and he would, the, the anguish and the terror, if you could imagine, on his arms and his feet, they would send ripples up through his nerves. As he fought that, that pain and of the nerves, the, the muscles would begin to knot up. And there would be a desire to push up, to stretch those muscles. But the cruelty of the cross was only beginning. Because one of the, the most anguishing things about being nailed to a cross was the fact that really what was killing you was Suffocation. That as that, that body sagged there, you would have to fight. Not only to take in a breath, but also to exhale. And so he would push off those nails on his feet and pull himself up with the nails that went through his wrists. Fighting for every last breath. See, when these people heard, when they read the letter from Luke... They would have known of the physical cruelty of the cross of Jesus Christ. May you and I never forget that. May we never forget the anguish that is, for, that is told of here in these simple words. There they crucify him. But for Christ, it was not only the physical cruelty that we see. There's also the emotional cruelty inflicted by man. Notice verse 34. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. I don't know about you, but uh, there's nothing worse than to be going through physical pain and agony and at the same time having people around you laughing and jeering at you. But I cannot imagine the weight that there was to be experiencing what Christ was physically, but at the same time, to have groups of people around him insulting him, blaspheming him, hurling words at him. We see two groups here. First of all, we see a group that was watching. We are not sure why these people were looking on. We know according to the Gospel of John that, that Jesus' mother was there. His aunt was there. We know Mary Magdalene was there. We know the disciple John was there. So perhaps there were some that were there who were truly sorrowful. 
Certainly there were others that were just passerbyers or rubbernecks, as we might call them, as crucifixion usually took place at a very high traveled area. So people would be looking to see what was going on, who was on the cross. And certainly there were those who just enjoyed grisly entertainment. And so they came and looked on. But we're told that there's also others, particularly the rulers. What Luke is referring to is he's referring to the leaders of the Jewish religious order. The rulers were sneering at him. To sneer literally means to, literally the, the phrase is to turn one's nose up at someone. This carries the figurative idea here of ridicule and showing contempt. See, these leaders were showing contempt and they were ridiculing him because they, in their minds as they thought, as they saw Christ there, they knew that their plan had worked. That this man who they saw as a threat to them in their religious order, he got what he deserved. So they hold him in contempt. The other Gospels tell us that they wagged their heads at him. They recalled his claim to be able to destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. And here they utter these words that, that say that he saved others. Let him save himself if this is Christ of God, his chosen one. In fact, they're attacking his claims. They're actually using the very words that God the Father spoke of his son at his transfiguration. That this was his chosen son. The thing that they missed out was that over a, a thousand years before, a psalm, Psalm 22, spoke of this. And I often wonder if they ever went back, reading through the Psalter, came across this. Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8 say this, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. They mocked him. And what's sad is uh, the leader of a people who were to be a light unto the Gentiles led the Gentiles into their mockery. We see the soldiers here as they join in. They had already stripped Jesus of his clothes and gambled his garments there in front of them. To strip someone, to leave someone in nakedness was, perhaps in Jewish minds in particular, was a sign of gross indignity. It was as if they were trying to strip all his humanity that they could away from him, to rip his identity away as Christ our Savior was on that cross naked can you can you feel the emotional cruelty in that can you for a moment put yourself on that cross and imagine what you were feeling and then to add on top of that as they hear the jeerings and the mockery of the religious leaders they offer him sour wine and 
They say, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. It's as if they are in, pretending in a, in a, a mock throne room that uh, Jesus is the king, and they, they go about jeering at him. You're the king, so here, here's wine for you, as a king should have. It's all done in jest, in ridicule. They mocked him and said, save yourself. There's a sad irony in the words of the Jewish rulers and in the words of the Roman soldiers is the irony of that statement that they made. The Jews said he saved others. Let him save himself. The Romans say, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. The reality is Jesus Christ chose not to think of himself first. He chose not to save himself so that he might make a provision of salvation for them. That's the irony of that. See, it wasn't those nails that held Christ to the cross. It was his compassion, his desire of, to love us and to pour out his grace and his mercy upon us. That is what kept him on the cross. Can you imagine it? Here's the God of the universe who has humbled himself to where he appears as the God-man mound naked before all these people. And they jeer at him, knowing that he's God, knowing that he's king of kings. Knowing that he holds all things together, but yet, out of his compassion and out of his love, he remains on that cross. Not to save himself, but to save you and I. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in the midst of all this cruelty, what do we find Jesus doing? Look back at verse 34. In the midst of this physical cruelty and of this emotional cruelty, But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I mean, these were certainly new words to be heard from a crucifixion. No doubt the name of God had been uttered from a a cross. Certainly through profanity and no doubt through a cry for mercy. But the name of God to be uttered in intercession... For those very people who were executing him? It was new. The tense of the verb saying is in a, a, a continuous sense. That is, this isn't one time utterance. This wasn't just something we oh we heard him say one time, but it was something that he said continuously, or he, he said many times we might say. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. It's amazing to me to look on this situation and to think about how the natural man would respond to such cruelty. How would I respond? It wouldn't be like this. At least not in my own power. I'm floored by the the reflex of the God-man Jesus Christ is to respond with amazing compassion and grace as he prays for them. 
I believe he was specifically praying that they would be forgiven for their participation in his rejection and his death. I personally believe that he has the Jews and both the Romans in mind. Who, though absolutely guilty, because they had not come to recognize Jesus for who he really is, the very Son of God, his desire was still that this sin not be held against them. That in some senses, they, while they meant to crucify on the cross, they were ignorance of the, of the immense scope to what they were doing. They were ignorant to the reality that who they crucified truly was the King of Kings. That he truly was the Messiah of God, the Chosen One. Now, Christ is not granting forgiveness here. He did not say, I forgive you. His prayer was that this particular sin of murdering the son, murdering him would not be held over them, but that, that they would come to experience divine forgiveness. It was a forgiveness that still needed to be accepted. But it's a forgiveness and this prayer forgiveness that I think we believe begin to see in this passage to come about. Matter of fact, if you were to go along further, you'll notice in verse 47 of Luke 23. Now, there, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this was an innocent man. We also know of an Acts chapter 2, verse 23, where Peter brings his great sermon. This is after the resurrection of Christ and he's ascended to heaven. Peter brings his, his great sermon to those who are around the Temple Mount on the day of Pentecost. And during this sermon, he accuses them and tells them that you nailed him, that is Christ, to the cross. That it was because of you. You put him to death. And we know by the end of Peter's sermon that those who were of the, some, some of the very same people who had said to crucify him, probably some of the same people who were at this, this cross right now, were those who would come and say, what must we do? And Peter says, you must repent. And the result of the repentance and following after Christ, their sins were forgiven. As I look at this passage, believers, the thought that I take away of it is, oh, how Christ met cruelty with compassion. And may the compassion of the cross be evidenced in our lives, in our actions and attitudes of forgiveness. You see, Christ practiced what he preached in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. We know that Stephen, one of the early uh, martyrs for Christ, that at the moment that he was dying, before he died, he prayed this with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep or he died. As I was thinking about this passage, I thought of a story that I read in the Voice of the Martyrs about the church in Vietnam. And I remember this one story in particular, where these Vietnamese believers were being persecuted for their faith. And in the midst of this persecution, one of those believers uttered the very same words of Christ, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
May that be our response to the cruelty that comes our way. May we meet other people's cruelty with compassion and with the forgiveness of Christ. I think we also see this forgiveness borne out, though, in verse 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse. He was literally he was he was blaspheming at him, saying, you are not the Christ. Save yourself and us. Can you imagine the hardness that must be in this criminal's heart? Here he is. He's 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 on his last breath. He's nailed to a, to a cross. And who does he join in with? He joins in with his executioners. And others the same blasphemy. But the other answered, verse 40, and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, the other Gospels tell us that the two criminals, the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, tell us that both criminals were hurling insults at Christ. So something has changed in this man's life. The other Gospels tell them that both of them were a part of this insult. But then when we come to this Gospel, something happened in this man's life. What was it? Certainly, no doubt, he saw what was going on. He saw the insults. He himself partook in those insults. But he also heard and saw the interaction between this man on the cross who is coming to find out wasn't just any man and to the father above. He saw this intimacy between the two and he saw this compassion that was being prayed for for those who were around him. And somewhere in the midst of this, God's grace was poured out upon this man. And this man's heart changed. There's a spiritual awakening that happened in him. And he began to see that he himself was truly, justfully, and righteously should be, should be punished for these sins. But he saw that this man, who was not just any man, but was a reality of what these, these people, were, what the Jews were making fun of him for, he was really was the chosen one. And he was the Christ. And he was there unjustly. And somehow within the mysteriousness of God and the grace of God, he put it together. And he realized and he cried out and he turned to Christ and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man had turned in faith toward Jesus Christ. I don't even think he was aware of the full grace that awaited him. Matter of fact, his plea was more of a plea of mercy. He said, Lord, just, just remember me. Just remember me. He didn't come and say, hey, hey, remember I, I took up, I, I, I stood by your side. I spoke up for you. He didn't say that. He didn't, he didn't try to plead any measure of good works he had. He just turned to Christ and he said, just remember me. Remember me. In your kingdom, when you come. This is a man who is truly humbled. 
And by the grace of God, saw the truth that was in Christ, and he turned to him. And Jesus, in his compassion, didn't just leave him there pleading in mercy, but he turned with assurance. And look what he says in verse 43. And he said to him, truly I say to you, in other words, I, I tell you the truth, this is no taunt. Truly I say to him, you, gotta, you have to picture this as well, that as he's on the cross, he's not being able to say words clearly, but that he's fighting to give this insurance to this man because he would have to fight for every breath and you need breath to speak. And so you can imagine on the cross that as he pushed up from the nails, that he uttered these words, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, well, when, when I come back in my kingdom, but he says today. I'm just not going to withhold my wrath from you, but I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you me, and I'm going to give you presence with me today in paradise, my heavenly realm. What we see in this passage is we see the intersection of the cruelty of man and the compassion of Christ come and meet And the reality is, though we may not have been at this scene, our sin is a cruelty against God. Our sin is an insult against God, a holy God who's utterly distinct from us. Our sin separates us from him. But even in our sin, Christ has reached out to us to offer his compassion, To give us not just mercy to withhold the just payment we we deserve, but also to bestow on us His grace. The compassion of Christ meets the cruelty of sinful mankind. Believer made the image of the cross of Christ and the communion which we're about to take. May it remind us of the cruelty that was bore for us. And may it drive us, may it drive us to give thanks and praise. And to unbeliever, may the cross of Christ and the communion which we're about to take, may it cause to alert in your hearts a need for a Savior. And that you are one in need. That you are sinful. And without Christ in your life, wrath will be poured out on your sins. But if you turn from your sin and put your faith and trust, Christ will pour out his compassionate mercy and grace. Dear God, we come. We come to praise you. Lord, we come as we reflect on the cross of Jesus Christ. To be reminded of what you bore for us, but also what you have given to us. And Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, my prayer is that if there is anyone here who has never accepted you as their Savior, I pray that this, at this time they will realize the depth of their sin. And there's nothing good that they can merit, they can bring to you to merit salvation. But at the realization of their sin, may they turn and repent of any other ways to save themselves. 
May they turn to put faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, as we prepare to take communion, may these be instruments that also remind us of the blood that was shed for us and the body that was broken for us. And may we use it as an opportunity to give you thanks. In the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. At this time, I just want to invite you to let you know that uh, as we begin to take communion, that uh, all are welcome to take communion who have truly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, You don't have to be a member of Fellowship Bible Church. But if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, we ask you that you might abstain from taking communion. And as uh, the communion elements are being passed and as the music will be played here in a moment, we just ask that you will take this time uh, to meditate upon Christ our Savior. He paid a price that was so dear And though we once were far away The blood of Christ has drawn us near By His blood we've been made holy By His blood His blood, eternal sacrifice, shed for you, shed for me. There is no other sacrifice, no way to wash away our sin, but now the curtain has been torn, and we can
Before his death, as Christ and his disciples were partaking of the Passover meal together, Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Let's take together. Dear God, we come and we we give thanks to you. As your word told us, we are to do do this often in remembrance of your blood and your body that was given for us. And so, Lord, we we come this evening to give thanks to you, and we give you praise. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us, and we pray, Lord, that we might go out and live lives that are grateful for the free gift that you've given us. In the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen.